0: running with another episode of just another sports podcast week two of the nfl season is now in the books and we'll dive into that and all things around the league with our guests this week greg swatek and josh smith very pleased to welcome back onto the program one of the preeminent nfl insiders uh he's also a man that bleeds orange and black for his beloved baltimore orioles he is jason Lockenfora of cbs sports jason how are you
1: Doing all right. Waiting for the Frederick Keys to uh, release their schedule, man. They're the only Orioles affiliate who hasn't released it yet. And uh, believe it or not, we're we're already planning uh, trips to see uh, the O's affiliates home and road next year. So, no, it's all good, man. As we speak, the O's are up 7-1. Santander hit another homer. So, I'm good. In between phone calls, watching the O's, and uh, enjoying what's left of this season.
0: Don't don't tell me you're clicking refresh on your on your internet browser over and over again, waiting for the keys scheduled up.
1: There. No, I'm gonna get. it. I mean, I I get it emailed. Like you know what I mean. As soon as it comes out, I'm on the. I'm. A, we have like a partial plan, so I'll get it in my email. So I'm not that ridiculously compulsive, but I am very excited about the keys next year. Um, we saw a fair amount of Delmarva this year, and a little bit of Aberdeen and uh i mean everybody's talking adley 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 and, and he'll obviously be at frederick at some point next year but I, I just think the whole team overall has a chance to be to be pretty exciting and pretty special um so yeah we're fired up man i'm uh ready to re-up with uh, pick out my keys games once the schedule comes out but it will probably go to even more next year than we did this past year just because uh that team should be fairly loaded
2: let me let me ask you about uh, somebody who was not on uh, the Orioles, uh, a young player who was in the news, uh, was an Oriole or was in the system. that last night yeah. hitting that home run. Let me ha, how uh, how
1: did that strike you? You know, I mean, he's we saw him. We never saw him in Delmarva, but we saw him quite a bit in Frederick, and then a whole lot in Bowie, and a fair amount in Norfolk too, yeah. just because he was there for so long, and. You know all the he just he looked like a ball player and such a great kid and I go back and forth about it, but I don't know that I can beat these guys up. Yeah, too much about it because yeah. I mean he was back in Bowie again. Like was it last year? You know what I mean? I think like it so, yeah. just was. It never happened for him really in Triple A, and he did like he kind of to me was like a jack of all trades, but, like, a stud of none. You know what I mean? Like, did yeah. everything kind of, you know, pretty well, but, but I don't know that he had one calling card that I thought would lend him to get to the majors, much less do what he's done with yeah, he's 20 the, home runs. He's the
0: Giants' best player, just about.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I think back to, like, where the Orioles were before the season started and with this spring that Austin Hayes had. I mean, Austin A's had a hell of a spring. I don't think anybody thought he was going to get hurt again and, and, you know, basically not really get anything going until June. And they wanted to keep Cedric, and I understood, and I was totally on board with that. Um, thinking back on it, it was them claiming Dwight Smith that really mm. was the end. You know, because it was clear they weren't sold on DJ, and he wasn't going to – they barely gave him a chance at all in the spring before they sent him to minor league camp. So I was – kind of talking to the boys about it tonight. We were yeah. out at dinner, and I was like, you know what? I really think it was Dwight Smith, who I'm not – he's not a replacement level player, ball player to me. You know what I mean? Like, he's mm-hmm. just a guy. Like, I don't think Dwight Smith will make the team next year. In fact, right. once they have to start taking guys off to 40 man because they've got to protect some dudes for the Rule 5 draft, I don't even know if Dwight, Dwight Smith is on the roster come November. But that's really what did it, right? And then they, were, they DFA'd him, and then they were able to work the trade for, I think it was Tyler Herb. Um, Where did
2: he even from, end up? We, 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 we were looking him up. Uh... He was
1: in AAA for the first half of the year, and it was not pretty. And then I think he did a stint on the DL, and then he went to Bowie late in the year. And, in fact, we saw we went to the game in Bowie last Friday, Game 4 against Trenton, and he barely got through the second inning. Mm. He got he got beat around by Trenton. And, actually, by the time he left the game, um, the Bay Sox didn't have much of a chance because Trenton's starter was... On fire, and then Severino pitched the inning, and they actually got to Severino more than they got to the starter. But the the way Bowie hit down the stretch, when they're down four or five runs, they they weren't really going to come back. But yeah, Tyler Herb is um, I don't I don't think he really has any future here. But we you know whatever. Like I, I, I yeah. can't I can't backtrack and be like they should have known better, because from an eye test and from a statistical analytical background i don't know what you know what i mean i don't know that anybody could have looked at 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 mike strymski and saw this coming saying all that i'm i'm so happy for him man. And for him to hit a home run in fenway and for what that must so cool. have been like that was grandma and grandpa there like that's awesome and he was such an easy kid to root for he was always great with my kids signing autographs and um you know taking pictures with them and always smiling and you, like he, he had that love of baseball and you knew that he would sort of like um ring every ounce of potential out of his body but i kind of figured that was going to stop at the pacific Coast League, you yes. know <laughs> once he got to once you know once they they made the trade and 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 whatever but you know good for him hey dude christian walker's another one of those guys too like i mean he's had a pretty darn good year for the diamondbacks so you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy about all that. It's good to see those guys succeed. It's, it's, it's just cool. I mean, I just love minor league baseball so much, just being able to see these guys and to know um, that they're giving their all and they're, they're literally playing for peanuts. And so anytime you see them come through on the other side, whether it's with the Orioles or some other organization, you know, and make themselves some money and have some fun and enjoy the big leagues, I'm all about it.
0: It seems like a lot of guys leave the Orioles and they go on to bigger and better things elsewhere. Is that an indictment of the Orioles scouting department, or what's going on with that?
1: Well, I mean, I think we need to reassess moving forward. I mean, I think in the past it was what it was. I, you know, the, I think player development suffered. There was the, the, there was no infrastructure. There was no sort of continuum. You had an owner. I'm sorry, an owner. You had a manager and a GM who seemed to be backbiting each other any chance they got. And if you were a Buck guy, then Dan might stop your way to the majors. You know what I mean? And if you were a Dan guy, then Buck might not play you when you got there. I mean, it just it wasn't conducive to creating, you know, what Michael Elias would now call sort of an elite pipeline of of talent. And they didn't have that. And there was no continuity from place to place and it almost looked like when these guys moved from one you know affiliate to the next like they were almost starting all over um and 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 the technology i mean they're just so far behind the curve like i don't know if either you guys were at the game um gosh it must have been in june DL Hall started. He threw 50 pitches in the first inning. They actually pulled him on a 3 2 count with the bases loaded. They pulled him mid count on 50 pitches.
0: I think I was at that game, yeah. Yeah.
1: So, and we're like, okay, like, is he hurt or whatever? And we're sitting like two rows behind the dugout. So, you know, at at one point I just peeked my head in and, you know, just made eye contact with the pitching coach. I'm like, DL okay? And they're like, yeah, yeah, he's fine. So that game was like a blowout, and there was literally nobody there by like the eighth inning. I think it might have started raining a little bit. And so here in the eighth inning, some young guy in Orioles gear, I see him come down from the press box, and he's got a big ass laptop. Like, a, it's it's not like a normal sized laptop. It's like an industrial sized laptop. And he comes down to the dugout, and I'm obviously eavesdropping like hell. Like I'm like, oh this is this is pretty interesting. And so I'm looking in, and he's—you could see on his screen—he had like four different like windows open, and one looked like a TrackMan, and one like one was like a statistical breakdown. So I'm just leaning in, watching all this, and he goes down to the dugout, and he reach—he he reaches his head in. He, the The pitching coordinator comes out, and he puts the laptop up on the dugout, and I can see them pointing, and they're showing the TrackMan, like the difference between when DL started his rotation. With his hands sort of down near his groin, versus with his hands up at his belly button, and like they're they're literally, like they're correcting it in real time. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm like watching all this, and I'm like, wow. I would have never saw this last year in five billion years. You know what I mean? Like this is <laughs> it's just that was sort of a moment where it crystallized for me. And then you see them talk to DL, and then the then DL and the pitching coordinator go out to you know the the um, the clubhouse to kind of like with these printouts and go over it some more. But it's like, it was almost like they were playing a game of telephone in the past. You know what I mean? Like when you were a kid and you had the styrofoam cup, and it's like one person relays the next to just one person, to the next person. And by the time it actually gets to the kid who needs to hear it, like God knows, you know what I mean, if it's even close to what it was supposed to be, well, versus this, where they're literally breaking it down, like in real time that night before the kid even goes home, you know what I mean, to his apartment. So... And it was just stuff like that and then the 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 meters they put on the bats and talking to the players about it you know before games and stuff and how excited everybody was to be able to have that empirical data like you know at right at their fingertips in real time it's just leaps and bounds from anything that happened before and when we saw delmarva a couple times early in the year and i'm watching the ball come out of these kids hands and you're looking at the K's per nine and you're like something's up to like this isn't a coincidence like all of a sudden, Ophelke Peralta, you know what I mean? It's, like, dominant. Like, And I get it. He's older, and he's been in the same sort of, you know, low A to high A shuttle for a while. But, like, he looked like, you know, something changed with him. And I'm looking at guys who people aren't talking about, like Gray Fenter and Drew Rahm and what they're doing until tomorrow. And I'm just like, there's, there's something to be said for, like, being really smart and being really tech savvy and, like, having your crap together. And And this was... You're not going to convince me that this was a fluke that this i mean just go look at their their strikeout rates across all the minor league affiliates it's it's like another planet to anything i'd seen in recent years and it doesn't mean they 're all going to pan out and it doesn't mean they're all going to be major league pitchers but clearly there's a there's a continuity of um, points of emphasis and a continuity of um, of coaching strategies and and clearly they're not just like letting dudes throw you know 100 mile an hour fastballs and and overpowering hitters with stuff like that. I mean there was no doubt in my mind. I saw DL Hall a lot this year, and there were times where I'm like, they're not letting him throw the fastball. Like I just know they're not. Like I I know they're calling pitches from the dugout and they're making him get these outs with secondary pitches. Like they're like, they just are, and. I don't recall seeing stuff like that happen in this organization in the past.
0: Where are you with this rebuild? Are,
1: are do you think I'm it's all, going? I'm all in, man. I'm I'm fired up. I'm excited.
0: Yeah. So you think it's going well?
1: I, I mean, I. I mean, there was nowhere to go but up. I, 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 the more I've gotten to to spend a little bit of time with some of the people up in the front office, the more impressed I am. Everything I saw on the farm this year had me super excited um, for, for all the reasons I just sort of noted. The te- and, and, you know, technology and, and the caliber of people. Um, I, I applaud Michael Ayes for not coming in and trying to blow everything up in November. You know, that would have been really tough last year. It would have been hard. He had enough on his plate. But, like, no one should be surprised that he's now bringing in his own people, especially people who have ties to the Astros and the Cardinals organization, because they, they already speak the same language. They, they You know what I mean? They hit the ground running. So I know some of the local media were, you know, dragging their knuckles and, you know, sort of all a little bit up in arms about letting go of some people. And I, I, mean, I never want to see that happen. But, like, I mean, they were a pretty backwards organization for a long time. Like, you had to know that – you know, once Elias got his feet under him, and and got things established in the international markets, and you know got got their academies a little more up to speed, that at some point there were going to be sweeping changes in in terms of the coaching staffs um, and the scouting and the the, the 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 scouting ranks. So, no, man, I I think they're. I I mean, next year is going to be tough, but I think they'll be younger next year. And I don't think they lose 100 games next year. And then I honestly feel like 2021, like uh, they could, like they they could win like 70 ish games. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I don't think it will be like I don't. I think the, the days of 40 under 500 will be over by then. I I, I really do. Yeah. No. I think next year there'll be less of a Frankenstein team. You'll have out. You know, more regular outfielders playing the outfield. I think they'll be a younger team next year. I think they'll still be um, re- pretty athletic, and, and um, I think you'll start to see a little bit of pitching trickling in. Yeah, that's what
2: I, that was what I wanted to sort of ask you as we as we look even farther forward, not just next year, but what do you think the odds are that they can finally develop a bona fide ace out of this group of young arms or maybe even somebody else that they
3: are able I think, to draft?
1: I think they will. I think they will because of how much emphasis is on player development. Now, I absolutely think – think they will i think next year they have i think next year's bullpen will be drastically better Mm -hmm. and i think that will be a big part of the reason why they win 60-ish games and i think the year after that they win 70 and they're 20 under but like it's not like they'll never beat a good team the way they are right now you know what i mean it's not like when the astros come in you know they're losing four in a row you know and then the year after that who knows depends on what the rest of the, the the division looks like but I'm. I'm. I mean. I think next. I think Hunter Harvey's for real in the role he's in. And and actually, I think he'll be the closer whenever they trade Givens. You know, I'm. I'm cool with Dylan Tate. Zach Pop to me had the best arm of anything I saw late last year. And if he can come back from the Tommy John, the way a lot of kids come back from Tommy John now, I think he'll be in their pen um, by late next year. And I think whichever these kids, you know, what from the Zach Lowthers. The Dean Kramer's, the Bruce Zimmerman's, at least one of them. Um, and they're not all going to be starters. And one of them will probably be a five, and one of them will be a swingman. But I think one of them could be, um, you know, like Zimmerman could be a, a, a really intriguing lefty, lefty guy or whatever. I, I, I just I think they'll be pieces. Um, in terms of the high end, you know, top of the rotation guys, I buy DL Hall. I buy him all day long. Yeah. I buy Grayson Rodriguez. And I wouldn't be shocked if they took, you know, the kid from Vandy or the kid from Georgia next year. Next year's draft's going to be a lot different than this year's, from everything I've heard, and I think they'll switch the focus back to pitchers unless there's an elite center fielder. You know, Mm -hmm. I I think it'll be a lot of pitchers in their first five picks next year. Um, The caveat being, if if there's somebody they think could be, you know, a high-end starting center fielder in the next couple years, then, I think that would be really intriguing to them because now that they've had a the time to look at all these outfielders, there's some that they like a lot of them, and they really like Austin Hayes, and I really like Austin Hayes. I don't know that Austin Hayes is a 150 you know game a year center fielder, um, but no, I, I think they absolutely will develop these kids. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited about a lot of them, and we'll start. You know, we'll we'll they'll start reaping those benefits. You know, by the middle of next year. I mean, I. I i I don't know maybe keegan aiken breaks camp with them i don't know what else he's really i mean he's pitched so many innings at so at every minor league spot that uh maybe he breaks camp with them but they might look at him as more of of a reliever too and given that he's not a super high velocity guy by any stretch of the imagination maybe that maybe that makes the most sense but we'll start to see the arms trickle in next year um and I, I've tried to doubt Zach Lowther. I've seen him pitch a million times, and each time it's like you look at that gun and you're like <laughs> – but then you look at the deception and you look at all the missed bats, you know what I mean? And yeah. you, you 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 look at the, you know, the ERA and you look at some of the other peripherals and you're like, this was the year where I thought for him and Alex Wells like the jig might be up, and it absolutely wasn't. Like it wasn't. Ooh. So, I, I, again, I don't know what they become. They're not all going to be starters, but – um, they missed a lot of bats at every level of the minors this year. And some of those kids will, again, start paying dividends next year.
3: Where,
0: where do you think Rutschman starts next year, and is, is he in the majors uh, next season too?
1: I don't think there's any way he's in the majors next year. I I just don't. I don't see what they think the upside in it is, especially because the pitchers will – I mean, again, Aiken might be there next year, a Kramer or a Lowther – might be there next year, but, you know, DL's not going to be there next year, and Grayson's not going to be there next year. Um, Whoever they take with the second overall pick's not going to be there next year. So I I just don't see it. I think they're going to be super judicious about starting these clocks. Um, I mean, Ryan Mountcastle, I guarantee you, will have a monster spring, and he will have done everything and more to to earn his way onto the team, and he's not going to be there. And it's got nothing to do with Chris Davis because he won't be there either. But like, why not just wait till May? Like, you know what I mean? If the Blue Jays were willing to wait on Vladdy and Bichette, why would you just not wait? So no, I don't think there's any chance Adley's there. Um, I don't know where they start him. You know that that's a that's a good question. He will spend a good portion of next year at Frederick. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, we saw him. I, I saw him twice in Aberdeen, and we saw him three times in Delmarva, and. I don't. I wouldn't be against them starting him in Delmarva. Like I, I don't. I mean, I, that would. Uh, I, I don't have a problem with that. It's not like he destroyed things. I mean, we saw him. I saw the game he, the first time he caught Grayson, and like a couple balls got past him. You know, he dropped a pop up. Uh, a lot of swings and misses. Like I, I, you know, just let him, let him, let him get to the point where he dominates each level, and, and then call him up. And and I can't say he dominated Delmarva. He didn't dominate Aberdeen the first, what, 10 games or so. And then he had a 10-game stretch where he, they, nobody could get him out. And the, even when he struck out, and we saw him strike out quite a bit. It, those, those pitches weren't strikes, and he was he's not going to swing in a pitch that he doesn't think is a strike. So I, I suspect he starts in Delmarva and is up in Frederick um, pretty soon. And maybe he finishes at Bowie. Um yeah, I, I if, if he, you know, if he does what I think he'll do at Frederick, um, maybe he closes, you know, spends the last six weeks. Like, I look at a guy like Joey Bart, you know what I mean, and what the Giants did with him. um, the catcher, they took second overall the year before. He got to Richmond. We saw Bowie play in Richmond in late July, and he had just gotten called up then. He spent, you know, the end of that season there. I bet he starts this season in Bowie and is in San Francisco probably after the All-Star break or you know in 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 August or something like that. So I I could see a a similar sort of thing with with Adley. He spends most of the year in high A, last 4 to 6 weeks of the year in double A and then depending on where the team is the next year, maybe you start him back in double A or maybe you start him in triple A.
0: You ever think about being a minor league baseball insider, Jason? I mean, you really you really know your stuff when it comes to that. stuff. So it, it probably doesn't pay as well as your as your NFL game. No,
1: so. it's, it, you know what? I would never want to. Like, it's it, the thing I love about it is that I have no skin in the game other than, you know what I mean, just pure fandom. And, you know, it's cool when you, you're sitting there and you're talking to your kids and you're getting ready to go to a game and they're like, you know, who are the prospects on the other team? And they go through their cards, you know what I mean? And, oh, I got a Joey Bart, I got a Helio Ramos, so oh, I got an O'Neal Cruz, I got... A Clark Schmidt or whatever, you know what I mean. And you go to the game, and they get their autographs, and you see, you know, and then you know what I mean, and and mm-hmm. you watch the game, and you keep, you know, you keep score. Well, I can't, my kids are, I can't keep score as much as I would like, but you know, you clip out the box score of MILB.com ML, the next day, and you put it in their scrapbook with their cards, and you watch these guys develop. You know what I mean? And it's, mm-hmm. Like even a Mike Justremski right now. Like, we're going home from dinner tonight, and I'm like, hey, Rocco, like. Remember when, you know, he's got, I'm like, you remember all the times we met Mike Strzok? Like, yeah, I'm like, come on, go back through your book and find, it. You know I mean? He's mm-hmm. got like 10 autographed cards in Mike Strzok, you know, like, it's like, hey, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So it's just that part of it. It's just a pure sort of like fandom. And I just have such respect for what these kids, you know, like, it's, it's a tough road to home, man. You know, living with host families and making literally no money and, you know, living on peanut butter and jelly sandwiches after the game. Like, I, I just have a real respect for what it takes to follow those your dreams and to go that route, knowing what a small percentage of them will ever even get one Major League paycheck, you know what I mean? Much less a season's worth of Major League paychecks, much less one truly lucrative contract, you know, that's negotiated beyond the minor, the Major League minimum. I mean, yeah.
2: We had we had a guy from TJ high school named uh, Joey Hammond, who played in the Orioles minor league system and I guess another team's minor league system for like 10 or 12 years and never, Never got that call, do you remember him by chance?
1: yeah, I remember the name, absolutely, yeah, so, middle infielder, but uh, yeah, he's
2: a perfect example of what you're talking about. a guy that just toiled and worked and it never it just never happened for him,
1: yeah yeah, but at that but then it's cool to see a guy like and I know Corbin Joseph has bounced around to three or four different organizations this year, but like he's you know he he played major yeah. league games for two different organizations this year, like you know he got a few major league paychecks like. Yeah. It, you know, good for him, man. You think of all the hours they put in and and all the bus rides. Bus rides, yeah. Just, I mean, it's it's not people. I don't unless you kind of talk to these kids or go out there with any regularity. I think it's really easy to just sort of mm-hmm. almost glamorize it, and it is the least. <laughs> it is the least glamorous. Like we go to see a lot of road games, and I'll always ask, like, "Where's the team staying?" And like half the times, I'll check the hotel out, and I'll be like, "We're not, <laughs> like, We're not staying there." You know what I mean? Like. I'm just. I'm not staying at that motel. Might be you know some roaches. I mean? some... Just it looks a little dicey. Like, you know, nah, no, we're we're good. Thank might, you. Though. Might be like, some roaches
0: crawling across the bed or something <laughs> like that. So.
1: Well, yeah, that did. It happened. Uh, happened in Hagerstown this year. Yeah. yeah. We uh, ended up. We ended up driving home. Yeah. Wow. Uh, after a doubleheader, because yeah, there was a couple bugs in the bed, and I'm like, ah, eh, we'll be home in ninety minutes. Forget it. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought it was a good idea to spend the night, but no, we're out.
0: Uh, last baseball one for you before we get into the NFL. Sure. Um, of the current players on the Major League roster for the Orioles, how many are still here when the Orioles actually become a good team again?
1: Um, off this roster right now, I, I'd say Hunter Harvey. I'd say Dylan Tate. Um, I would say... Trey Mancini? Mancini. What's that?
0: Trey Mancini?
1: And I, I don't know about that one. I, I just I think um, I think if Ryan Mountcastle's who I believe he is, and Santander is, is to me and ever mean he I, what this kid's done is pretty special to me. With yeah. nobody other than Mancini really protecting him in the lineup or having to even worry about in the lineup, like he, he that bat plays for me. Switch mm-hmm. hitter, and he's got a power arm. So then, the, and then if Austin Hayes is who I think he is, which is not an everyday center fielder, then I just, I, I, I think, I, I, don't, I think Trey Mancini is, is easily, and I love him. I mean, I love him. He's such a good dude.
0: Do you trade him or what do you do with him? I think he
1: gets traded. I mean, you're talking about by the time they're good. And I, I mean, we're talking 2022. I don't think he's here.
3: Yeah.
1: I think he's been traded by then. Um, you know, I think VR is traded, I think Hans or is traded. Um, but like Santander for sure. Um I I have a little bit of belief in Richie Martin and I know he'll probably I don't want to say probably, from what I'm hearing, he will be in Norfolk next year to start the year no matter what he does in in spring training in all likelihood. Um I still think he could be an interesting piece. I love his athleticism. Um the glove wasn't as great it was more good than great, but but still, I mean for what he was thrown into he, he might, We might be looking at him two years from now the way we're looking at Santander, not from a a, a, a power profile, but just from an, an ability to be a, a, a everyday starting shortstop who could hit eighth and ninth, you know, mm-hmm. eighth or ninth in the lineup. Um, on the roster, on the roster right now, Austin Hayes, I, I buy. Um,
0: it sounds like it's less than five.
1: Like Miguel Castro is still only like, 20, isn't Miguel Castro still only like twenty five, twenty six years old?
0: Right. Yeah.
1: God, I I buy his arm. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know what was going on with him the first half of the year, but I I, I mean, he looks as filthy as anybody I've seen in a while when he's truly on. I think he'll be around. I think Pedro Severino's around. I don't know if he's the starting catcher because you know two years from now Adley's here. But what a, he'd be, I think he'd be a hell of a guy to to be you know, a young backup with Adley. Um, I'm a bit, I, I really, Severino to me was, has been an absolute fun. He's got what, 14, 15 home runs and he's played less than half a season. Basically. Uh, I love, I love his mannerisms behind the plate. I love the way he keeps pitchers in check. I love his body language. Um, his, his enthusiasm, his energy. I, I think, I mean, to get Severino off waivers like they did for nothing, I'm all about, um, that would probably be it. I, I will say I'm I'm intrigued by Asher Wojowski, like will he still be here in three years? I, I don't know, but like and John Means. Hmm. You know, I think John Means could still be here when they turn it around. Um He could also be a trade chip though. But that that would be that would off this roster right now that I think that's probably it. All
0: right. Let's talk some football with you. Sure. I mean, um, one of the themes that we constantly harp on here on the on this podcast is, is the officiating and just how g- god-awful it is across the NFL. I mean, it's not just that calls are being missed or they're being blown. I mean, now you have calls that are directly affecting the outcomes of games. I mean, the most recent example, obviously, is is, is the Bears-Broncos uh, game on Sunday where, where Bradley Chubb was called for the uh, roughing the passer – what what what? Just what is the level of concern in the league with with the officiating and 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 how these games are being decided by some of these calls?
1: Well, I mean they'll they'll never let on one way or the other, but they're they're certainly and especially with with the influx of gambling and whenever the point comes where the league does have an official sports book and has an a you know and starts. Selling next-gen stats or real-time stats to these various gambling entities, and once they really jump in to the deep end of that pool, um, you know, then people, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's got to be right. It's got to be. No one's going to be right all the time, but it's, it's got to be right more than it's right right now. I, I just don't know the easy solution because I heard over the weekend that of the 17 referees right now, seven are in their first or second year. There's, there's just no substitute for experience. Mm-hmm. And um, having been there, done that, seen that, adjusted to that, um, learned from that, what, the best the best in the business are now in the booth. Right. You know what I mean? It's like you've got so many guys who are officiating experts for, for one team, I mean, for one network or another. Like I, I was talking to Sean Payton about it after the Saints season ended. And, you know, we were talking on the phone. and I knew he was going to be a part. Um, you know, we was obviously going to be something we were talking about a lot at the Super Bowl. And he's like, "Look, imagine if you were watching a, a you know, God forbid we were in a war, with another country, or, or like back when we were, you know, the Persian Gulf War was going on, and you're watching it on CNN, and the guys." The, like General call, you know what I mean? All the best generals are analyzing the war for CNN rather than actually making the decisions mm-hmm. for the, for, you know what I mean, for the government. He's like, that's where we are. You know what I mean? He's like, we got Pereira and Sterator, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and all these guys who who are as experienced or more experienced than anybody on the planet, and they're saying what should have happened, but they're not actually officiating it on the field anymore. And it's hard to argue with that. And I don't, I don't know how. I mean, you know, there's only one NFL, and there really is no developmental league at this point. There's no World League of American Football anymore. And if you're working NFL games, it's really hard to work an SEC game on Saturday as well and get to your NFL game Sunday. I mean, it's impossible. So mm. there's only so many ways to replicate this. And unfortunately, um, I think there's been a brain drain, and the, the rule book keeps expanding. It's, it's difficult. I mean, at some point, I, I just wonder if everything's centralized. And you, you try to get the best people you can in, in New York and everything, you know, the Bill Belichick proposal from the last few years, yeah. everything's eligible for replay control replay and it's de- it's all decided in New York.
2: I I don't know how it is with you when you're watching all these games, but I mean I feel like anytime uh I see a big play occur, I'm like expecting a flag to be thrown. You're firm.
1: waiting you're waiting to see if it really holds or not. I mean yeah. I don't yeah.
2: I mean and that's the that's that messes with the whole process or the whole enjoyment of watching the sport It right? does.
1: It it does, but but I'm I you know, I agree you're always kind of waiting to see if that yeah. other shoe drops. That's that's sort of part of the process, right. though, I guess.
0: Why are there rules, Jason? We might have even asked you this last time you were on, but why are there things that can't be reviewed? I mean, Josh and I never understand that. We're like, why... well,
1: again, there's there's a lot of coaches who say we've already gone so far, or we've opened up Pandora's box this much. Why not open it all the way? Right. They, exactly. Like you know, if why can we review? We you know we can review pass interference, but we can't review defensive holding, and we can't review you know holding from the offensive side at all. It's why is it because that's what the owners have agreed to. I mean, it's just as simple as that, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, As much as the coaches talk about this stuff, it's not their call. They don't get a vote when the NFL is 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 opting to make a rule change. The 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 only people who are in the room voting at that point are the owners. Coaches aren't there. The GMs are there. They're there for some discussions, and they're there for some prelude. But those they don't have a vote. The only people who have a vote are the owners and um, they tend to be swayed to a, a fairly large degree by the competition committee. And the competition committee isn't, you know what I mean, is by no means made up only of coaches. So, I mean, I don't know, man. Yeah. It's, uh, I just think we're probably, unfortunately, going to be talking about this for a while.
0: Yeah, there might. There's no going back. I mean, we realize that. But but haven't they gone overboard with the rule book? You mentioned you mentioned how big the rule book is, and just too, there's too much, there's too much replay in the game. It seems too. Yeah.
1: I mean, there's just there's the, some of these rules, the way they're written and the verbiage, uh, and how far down in the weeds you get. It 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 it's a lot for any human to juggle, especially in real time when you've got 22 superior athletes running around the field and the balls in motion and everything's in motion. And you're trying to keep track of all that, plus be able to, you know, digest, um, you know, of whatever, 500 page rule book and all all the different sort of arcane scenarios.
0: And Um, and you have millions of people at home watching everything in frame by frame, slow motion replay.
1: So I, it's weird because as much as I, as part of me would say, at some point, I think everything's reviewable. How many times do? do do we not all agree on a replay decision exactly. even with all those cameras at our disposal so what
2: are the, yeah what are the words they keep using this year is clear and obvious and like yeah. it, it's supposed to be clear and obvious uh to everyone and it's yet yeah, it's it's so it's been so uh disjointed all over all over the league
1: yeah it look i mean it's these guys are bigger stronger faster than ever before yeah. And they still play on the same gridiron that Red Grange played on. You know what I mean, nothing's changed about the field of play. Not a single speck of grass. You know what I mean? Other mm-hmm. than the you know the advent of astroturf and then eventually field turf. But outside of that, like, just think about how far the speed of the game has changed. The speed of the athletes has changed. Their ability to throw the ball, jump, run, their strength, their power. I mean, where that's come since you know. Mm-hmm. 1914 but <laughs> nothing else has changed about the field of play and, and so you're trying to keep up with all that in real time um, and, and create a rule book that uh, uh, you know um, like, like has contingencies for all these different crazy sorts of plays that could happen and it's, it's tough
0: The implementation of the pass interference review, that seems to be pretty choppy so far How, how is that being received across the league?
1: I mean, I think the consensus that people have digested is like it better if if whatever's called on the field is going to stick you know eighty five percent of the time, and if it's one of these other fifteen percent where it's totally egregious, either you know they missed an OPI or they missed a defensive p i and it's 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 just so blatantly obvious, then you know that sliver of 10 to fifteen percent will get overturned, but it's got to be. I mean, not quite the, you know, Bradley-Nickel-Coleman play from the championship game, but it's got to be closer to that than closer to your normal play. Otherwise, they're just going to go with what was called on the field because they're trying to disincentivize these guys throwing the flag on anything that could be construed as ticky-tack.
3: Well, I'm thought
2: i thought the, I'm a Vikings fan. I was watching the Vikings game, and that, that play that they overturned, that touchdown to Diggs that they overturned was definitely ticky-tack. Um, I don't know what your thoughts were on that, but it was definitely not in the 15% of, boy, that was obviously, uh, egregious that Dalvin Cook just ran, ran off that defender. And, and I don't know what your thoughts were. Did you see yeah, that? Yeah, Well,
1: one? I think the, my suspicion on that one is it happened in the 1 PM window on Sunday mm-hmm. where there were 10 games going on, okay. which is more than I can ever remember. And as someone who's got to sit there and chronicle all these injuries in real time and try to get updates and send them to different crews and stuff, mm-hmm. anything more than seven is uh, it, it, there's going to be two or three games that at any given moment you mm-hmm. just or for periods of time you just can't you just can't follow. And I understand they've got more staff and everything mm-hmm. there in New York, but ten games in a one p.m. window, I don't know how they. I don't know. You right. Know. frankly i don't know how they handle that in new york that that is a lot um that's a lot going on all the time and you know i I, I, that's that's all i could say Mm -hmm. is that uh, they i'm that that window last week at 1 p.m had to be pushing them to their limits gotcha did we
0: really need the pass interference review? I mean, we're talking about how many layers to the rule book there are. I mean, did we really need uh, th- this rule? And th- did the league just overreact to a horrible no call in a championship game? Or I mean, was this necessary?
1: Well, I, I mean, I, Sean Payton did a heck of a job of 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 politicking, um, it, and and sort of. Uh, just getting people on board. I mean, lobbying really, like almost being a lobbyist, like on K Street in D.C. I mean, he sold it, man. He did. Mm. Um, and I think if you're if you're an owner and you really know the intricacies of like an, a, the business of the NFL and what the difference going to a Super Bowl and not going to a Super Bowl means, right, in terms of whatever your percentage of the cut in terms of how many jerseys you'd sell those two weeks, how many T-shirts you'd sell those two weeks, you know what I mean, just your international exposure, everything else, like what that one call would have been worth to any owner. I, I don't know that number. I'm guessing it's fairly astronomical. And it was taken out of their head, you know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. taken from them. So I, I think it got into these owners' heads like, hey, that could have happened to me. That could have happened to any of us. And if it did, you know, how would you think and right. what recourse would you have? And how do we pre- prevent that from happening? And as much as we're talking about all this now, remember, it's a one-year trial period. Mm-hmm. So let's say we're only two, we're not even, you know, one-eighth of the way into this thing yet. So let, let's see how it plays out. But, um, you know, this, is, this, this, this might not be forever.
0: Uh, I wanted to ask you about the preseason, too. I mean, I know it's becoming uh, ancient history uh, quickly in everyone's minds, but but where does the league stand with the preseason and and, and what could be done to possibly fix it?
1: Well, I think it'll depend on the timing of figuring out a new uh, labor agreement with the NFLPA. um, I suspect that happens before the start of the next preseason, and if it does, then there will most definitely you'll never see four games again. Um or at least you you won't see it in this c b a which I guess will run at least five years probably um on top of the year or two that'll be left in it in the current one um but they're gonna yeah, stick they're with gonna, the twenty game
0: model they're, though right they're gonna stick with what the twi- they're gonna stick with the twenty game model though right i mean there's not there's, there's gonna be no reduction it's either gonna be more regular season games or or, or, or in the no, there's gonna pre- be
1: fewer there's gonna be fewer there's going to be fewer preseason games, whether they add regular season or not. They're definitely going to add one playoff game in each conference, and that game in and of itself, each game could probably generate 400 million in revenue. Mm-hmm. So you add those two, and that helps in it right there offset some of whatever you lose in the preseason. Um, but no, it's going to go to two or three games either way. If they, you know, and if if, if they get 18, they get 18. Um, Regular season, I, I'm I'm not so sure about that part of it, but the days of four preseason games are over.
2: Uh, let's talk a little bit about some some players who are, who are actually are actually playing in the league instead of some of these rules and whatnot. Um, And and this big game this weekend, the Ravens and Chiefs, that's the one I want to talk about with you. looks like Mahomes is clearly like a a transcendent talent at quarterback. Um, I I would not have thought that a year ago we'd maybe be considering the same thing about Lamar Jackson. I mean, we're probably getting a little too far ahead of ourselves on that, but how many many more games does he have to put out there like he's had before we start thinking, whoa, wait a minute, this guy's pretty damn good too?
1: No, I – I've always, thought, I mean, when they made that, that I'm on record. The night they traded up for him as saying, um, I thought it would be a, a, a transcendent decision. I thought it would go down as one of the ten most influential moments in franchise history, mm-hmm. um, and I thought that this kid would have an indelible uh, imprint on the franchise and and eventually the city. Um, I, I think it was the. the the absolute best thing they could have possibly done, and at that point in time, people were getting sick of three yards in a cloud of dust and Joe Flacco five point one yards per attempt yeah. and never having any any speed and, and never having any explosion on offense um, and and just just being devoid of playmakers. Mm-hmm. And I thought he would signal a, a complete one eighty from all that. And and even last year, I mean, you, we we can talk about what he did or didn't do from the pocket. He made plays.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: He made plays game after game after game. Nothing else changed about that team from 4 and 5 to winning, you know, 6 of the next 7 other than change the quarterback. No? So like they made four trades at the trade deadline, um, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like uh they called three other you know, three kids off in the practice squad who were pro bowlers. Like they made one change. Mm-hmm. And they changed the scheme obviously around sure. him, but no, nah, he's special. Um, and, and getting a whole offseason to um, not have to defer to anybody and not have to try to run an offense that wasn't put in place for him but was put in place for you know an aging guy who's basically washed at this point um, and, and getting all that coaching time in the offseason and getting every rep with the ones, he got none of that. Mm-hmm. He was in the hospital. I mean, The day he got named starter, he was in the hospital. Like, people forget he didn't get a full week of practice mm-hmm. before he took over. Um. No, I. I, I, I mean, I'm. I, I think he's just scratching the surface. Right. Uh, Got to keep him. Got to keep him healthy, obviously. Right. And I think already the way he's running the ball this year versus last year, is night and day in terms of avoiding contact and only cutting inside when he absolutely has to and getting out of bounds and being smart about that stuff and not chucking the ball, you know, outside the pocket and inviting contact post throw. I, I I can see so much, you know, development in him already. Mm-hmm. So no, I I think I think he's a special player.
0: I I consider Patrick Mahomes to be the Steph Curry of the NFL. I mean, he's just doing things that we just haven't seen before uh, as a quarterback. Do you sort of look at him in the same way?
1: Yeah, man. I don't know if he's Steph Curry or or if he's LeBron James in his prime. You know, I I don't mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I don't know what the best comparison would be, but he's—I uh, mean, he's—he's he's a freaking nature. I mean, he, he's—I uh, don't know. I mean, there's—there's—I uh, I mean, I look at him at times, and I—I I think he's—he's—he's he's, he's like a, a smarter Brett Favre. I look at him other times, and I'm like, he's a—he's a combination of like Steve Young mm-hmm. and. John Elway. I mean, I I don't know, man. He he can just beat you in so many ways, and he he's got the best guy possible with him, and Andy Reid, and then you look at all the pieces around him. Um, but I, I was bullish on my homes too in the draft. I wrote a lot about him leading up to the draft, um, and and a lot just through baseball, honestly, mm-hmm. you know, and through knowing his dad a little bit, um, and knowing that you know uh, Latroy Hawkins was his you know, godfather and talking to him a lot about it and just researching him and seeing how much time he'd spent with around elite athletes um, and and how much time he'd spent in locker rooms and clubhouse environments. And he, he, um, I just thought he had an it factor. And and I didn't know I watched him play a lot in college, but I I just talked to enough people who knew him to where I thought he'd be a, a really good NFL quarterback. But there's no way in hell that I would have been like, yeah, he's going to throw 50 touchdowns his first year as a starter. I did not anticipate that on any level. And I don't know how anybody could. I mean, it's only happened three times in league history.
0: If he didn't sit behind Alex Smith for the first year, if he was thrown right into the fray, would he be the same quarterback?
1: I think he still would have been pretty good. I mean... You know that, and that's that's the one year that Alex Smith actually looked like something other than a game manager. He threw it downfield at least a little bit more, by his standards. Mm-hmm. Um, and and for about 12 weeks, he 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 had a really good season. But I think I think he would have thrown more interceptions than he did last year. You know, without without sitting and reviewing all that film and and kind of learning from somebody else's mistakes. But I I think he still would have. I think with that with that team and. You know, that year you're talking about Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt led the NFL in rushing that year, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I uh, I think he still would have done some pretty damn good stuff.
2: Yeah, hey, I read um, the most recent thing that you wrote, I guess, for dot uh, com it was about some, some backup quarterbacks that are going to be playing this week, uh, some backup quarterbacks that you expect to play. And a couple of other wild card situations in there. One of the things I I noticed was that you think Dwayne Haskins is going to play pretty soon. I, you, I think maybe you even suggested that by week four, like next week.
1: Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me in the next couple of weeks if that if that transition happened. Uh, they're they're you know look, they can't beat the Bears yeah at home and and they might um, but if they don't and then I think they play the Giants the week after that.
2: Yeah, and that was, I think, the week, that was the week four game, yeah.
1: Jones is already, Jones is already there. Yeah. Um, And I I don't, you know, look, Jay Gruden is, is a lot, I mean, I'd say a lot of people only expect Jay Gruden to be the first coach fired. Mm -hmm. Um, And they really like Kevin O'Connell. And I just wonder if at some point you're auditioning, Mm -hmm. you know, O'Connell to be a part of the next regime at the same time he's working with. A young quarterback mm-hmm. I, I mean if you're oh and three or eventually oh and four okay or maybe it's week five oh and owen and five i don't know what the counter argument is other than well yeah you know the offensive line stinks which <laughs> right <laughs> you know yeah the left side of the offensive line would, would scare the hell out of me too um yeah but that is what it is and maybe you maybe you you know Eventually, just trade Trent Williams, and at least now that's more assets for the future. But, but yeah, I mean, look, let's be real. The Eagles are a good team. The Cowboys look great. Um, they're, they're not. You know, this is going at some point. Like even the, the nobody wanted to resist rebuilding more than the Giants. I mean, they 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 lied to themselves about Eli for three years. I mean, they had they were on the they had it right when they sat him for Geno Smith in Oakland. They were there. Like they just needed to stick with that, but they didn't. You know they reversed it, but did, even they eventually reached a point where yeah. like, who are we kidding here? You know what I mean? Like, what are we doing? Like, did they yeah, do we it, gotta, did, we we it's time to play a young quarterback. Yeah.
2: Did they do a disservice to Eli going into the no. season?
1: Yeah. Just you guys getting twenty three twenty three and a half million as no. a uh, severance pay. Good for him. <laughs> Not bad.
0: Yeah. Is, is Trent Williams dug in? Is he ready to just sit out the season, or where, where's that going?
1: Oh, well, I mean, he's, 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 he's definitely dug in. I mean, we're we're almost, you know, coming up to late September, and uh, he isn't flinching yet. I don't know, but the whole season, we'll see. Um, I mean, if you're them, like, why would you ever let it get? He, he's got to come back by, I think it's November 12th, to be able to play it all this year. That's after the trade deadline. I mean, if they're silly enough to let it get to that point, then shame on them. Um, and I wouldn't be stunned if he sat out the whole year, because after all the money he's already lost, at that point, and then this again really isn't. It's not a money thing. It's not like you, you know, oh, we'll just give him three million more and everything will be okay. He, this is this thing's fractured. Um, what
2: kind of what kind of Guys office? are going to get hurt. I mean, if they, they, they
1: the, if they don't, I mean, if they're stubborn enough not to trade him, then that to me of all the crazy stuff that's gone on there over the years. That that would almost be the biggest indictment.
0: What what can they get for him? Yeah, what what kind of offers are out there? For
2: Dude,
1: him? well, Laramie Tunsil was two ones and a two. I mean, mm-hmm. what, I mean, I know this guy's older, but this guy also is a steal for the next two years if he's remotely healthy. I mean, right. But but they're not send, They're not marketing him. They're mm-hmm. not. They're not out there um, working it. They're they're when people call, you know what I mean? They're sticking their head in the sand. So, like they got to come to grips with reality and where they are as an organization and where they need to go and how much draft capital will continue to meet mean to them. And they got to be smart about it. But I mean, new England just, you know, <laughs> new England just put their left That's tackle on right. IR. Uh, this stuff's going to keep happening. Um,
2: does not it matter? It's amazing how much it doesn't matter in New England with all offensive linemen. I mean, that kid was playing really well. It just seems like every year it almost it almost doesn't well, matter. Well,
1: Brady's so smart yeah. and he can handle protections and he gets rid of the ball and he yeah, everything before it happens. But he's picking at the end of the first round. You know what I mean? He yeah. doesn't. I mean, for, they always they half the time they trade out of the first round anyway. Mm-hmm. Like. I don't know. Like I don't know why a one and a two, why Belichick wouldn't do it.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, he's always letting people leave, and that he's getting compensatory picks for. Like next year, he's going to get the three for letting Trent Brown go. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So why would I think a one and a a two or a one and a three would be out of the question for him? Right. I, I don't think it would be. He was willing to trade. He was willing to trade last year. A one and a two for Antonio Brown. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So, like, why would he not be willing to trade a one and a two for a Pro Bowl left tackle? Uh, That's I, but because again, that guy's not good getting that guy's not getting Trent Brown money. Exactly, you know what I mean? Yeah. He's not getting forty million dollars in the first two years of the deal. You got him basically two years for twenty five. Mm-hmm.
0: I wanted to ask you about Antonio Brown. Of course, he winds up with the Patriots. I mean, how, how many teams were really in on him? Uh, given everything that's gone down with him over the last couple of months
1: i mean there were a lot of teams interested but it happened so quickly that like i mean who 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 really had a chance to make you know offer counter offer another counter i <laughs> depends who you talk to mm-hmm. but yeah i mean look washington had legitimate interest seattle had legitimate interest um Obviously, New England had a legitimate interest. A couple other teams, but the guy he wanted to be in New England.
3: Yeah.
1: He, he wanted to be in New England, and the New England offer. I mean, it's basically one year, ten million dollars with a chance to, to, you know, earn fifty percent more in incentives. It's not like New England. He went there on a on a discount. I don't think anybody would have paid more than that. So, given that's where he wanted to be, and and given the strength of their offer, I mean. That i don't i don't know you know what i mean i don't, I don't know where else he was going to end up
2: is is he going to miss time this season due to all field issues i
1: don't know <laughs> i don't know <laughs> that's the great unknown man you yeah. know with this guy there's been so many twists and turns i yeah. you know it only takes one development one piece of evidence one misstep by him um and and the league does intervene, but at this point, based on what they've gathered to this point, um, they're not disciplining him yet.
0: This wasn't all part of a master plan by his uh, insubordination with the Raiders wasn't all part of a master plan to get to New England, was it? Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: he says no. His agent says no. Is he is he that smart? Uh, is he that smart? There are other people he, in the league who certainly wonder.
0: Yeah, I mean, is he that smart to pull something like that off? I mean, I'm like a total jerk for I mean, I three months. I don't know
1: that it's like that's like you'd have to be a genius. Like he he knows that when he was available in trade, New England was incredibly interested, and I I'm sure through Drew Rosenhaus, he knew that New England was willing to trade a one and a good player or a one and the two or a three for him. Like he had to know that, but the Steelers refused to trade him there, and he knew that. The moment he shut down the trade to the Bills, and he knew that the moment he eventually agreed to the trade with the Raiders with the new contract, and he would have known that Bill Belichick, I think he would have probably had a way to know that Bill Belichick still thought he was a pretty good player in August while he was going through all that stuff with the Raiders. So um, people who saw that video where he went running out of screen door mm-hmm. the day he got cut and lost $30 million in guarantees, most people don't react that way unless... <laughs> they kind of know that there's something pretty good behind you know door number two. Um,
0: well, what, what, what's so, the, what, what's the net here? I mean, he long, he gave up the thirty million guarantees with Oakland, but he's going to make fifteen plus incentives. Well, I don't
1: think it. he's going to make fifteen because those incentives are pretty high. He might end up hitting one of them, maybe making eleven. You know, he could have made fourteen six in Oakland, so he, he could be out a little bit. Um, you know, he would have made another fourteen the following year in Oakland, basically 30 for two. I don't know that that exists for him anymore. I mean, we'll see what this season brings. I don't think that exists for him anymore. Um, could he play well enough that the, that the Patriots pick up his option for the following year? I don't, I don't think so, but maybe they negotiate something else.
2: Jason, I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, last thing, just about about your day on Sundays, uh, and I wanted you to kind of paint me a picture, paint us a picture for what it's like, you know, when the cameras aren't rolling. You're on it's it's the NFL today, right? That's what you're a mm-hmm. part of. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, there's a show that you're a part of, but when the cameras are not rolling, t- tell us what your day is like and and how how cra- sure. crazy you can get.
1: Sure, um, I so. Uh, James Brown, our host, is also from uh, the Baltimore, Washington area. Yes. JB lives in Bethesda, so we're both on the train up there mm-hmm. uh, Saturday night to New York, and we get picked up from the hotel at uh, around seven fifteen ish, seven twenty-five on Sunday morning. Um, the rest of the guys on the show, Nate uh, Boomer, Phil mm-hmm. Sims, Coach Cower, all live in New York or New Jersey. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. they can just drive in or whatever. Uh, we have an eight o'clock production meeting. Um, where we just kind of refine the show one last time and go through everything and make sure everybody looks at the rundown and kind of has an idea of where we're going with stuff. Um, get dressed, uh, you know, put a suit on, get through makeup and all that. Um, we have a show called That Other Pre-Game Show that's on our cable network, CBS Sports mm-hmm. Network. I usually have a hit on there mm-hmm. um, around 925, Um and then I'll, sometimes JB will have something with teleprompter or some wordage, verbiage, or, or, mm-hmm. or um, copy. You know that I'll I'll go over with him. Uh, I'm making some. Then after that, I'm making some phone calls, just you know, double checking on injuries and stuff. Um, kind of trying to update a few things. Uh, at 11 o'clock i go on our show on cbs hq we've got fantasy football shows all morning on our online streaming service so i'll Mm -hmm. update injuries for those guys at 11 then i'll go back downstairs go straight into a rehearsal for the nfl today and then at noon you know we're live and we're on from 12 to 1 and then we have a, a really cool setup um we've got a room with a like three pretty big screen four pretty big screen tvs mm-hmm. and then like 15 other smaller monitors
3: mm-hmm.
1: all on the wall so we'll go down there and watch the games um you know i'm just trying to keep track of trends what's going on in these games You know, especially injuries are obviously such a big thing mm-hmm. staying on top of all the injuries um i'll write a column during the afternoon while the games are going on um, if we have a post-game show, I'll update injuries and do that stuff on the post-game show. Weeks we have a doubleheader, we don't have a we don't have a show from four to five um, because we've got games straight through, but we might have a show at like 7:45 to right. eight. Um, so, it's it's really just at that point, just trying to stay on top of all the things going on in the league. You know, last week, okay, Jalen Ramsey, you know, is having mm-hmm. a blow up with his coach. What's going on there? You know, what's behind that? You're reaching out to, you know, teams, call, sometimes calling the press box to double check what's been announced injury wise and what's not. Although, with, the, you know, with Twitter taking off, there's not as much of that mm-hmm. as there was, you know, eight years ago when I started doing this. Yeah. Um, and then usually it's a mad scramble to try to catch the eight o'clock train, <laughs> <the>
3: 8,
1: <laughs> eight o'clock train home, uh, if I can. Um, so you don't, you don't get, get to see.
2: Yeah, I was going to say you don't get to see the night game most of the time.
1: Well, I watch it. I can stream it on my phone. Oh, so yes. usually, I will either you know if I'm making calls, I'll watch it on the laptop gotcha. or watch it on the phone. Um but no it, it 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 comes through pretty good on the train. You you got to hit refresh, you know, a bunch, right. but no, you can I can watch that and then it, you know, you're you're updating injuries and getting mm-hmm. stuff ready because um I'll be on the radio and and uh doing stuff for CBS HQ by usually 8:15. Mm-hmm. Um, since I get back from dropping the kids off from school on Monday, mm-hmm. so yeah, Sundays and Mondays are are busy, but uh, it's also an adrenaline rush, and there's so much going oh, absolutely. on,
3: absolutely.
1: And you actually get to watch games, you know what I mean? Which yeah. is, which is, which is fun. Yeah.
0: How many cell phones do you have? And is is there a time, especially when? You're with your family where you where it's cell phone off time i mean you just t- i used to t- have, have multiple ones off,
1: you know. but i i just have one now i have a hard enough time keeping one like i i would i'd you know i mean forget where i put it and or one of my kids would get a hold of it and i yeah so i i streamline i'm down to one and there are definitely times where i just you know it's going to be in my pocket for a while and i'm going right. to live my life and i'm going to do something with my kids and I don't want it to be my third appendage, like my third arm. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't want my fifth appendage, third arm, whatever. I just, I, uh, there has to be some boundaries. Like I get it. It's not a job. It's a lifestyle, but it's, it, it can't be all encompassing. There, there has to be, um, some give and take. And the longer I've kind of done it. And as my kids have grown up, I just, uh, I believe in that, that wholeheartedly, um, You can work hard, but you also need to sort of work smart. And I I have responsibilities, you know, that that go beyond CBS. And primarily it's, you know, to be the best father I can be. So, yeah, you know, you you just kind of learn that through um, experience. And there's times you're like, oh, you know, I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have done this, blah, 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 blah. Next time, you know, I, I have to be more present.
0: Uh, last thing before we let you go, uh, you've been you've been very gracious with your time. I, I know you were sort of bullish on my Browns, I believe. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, yeah, has, has your confidence been shaken through their one and one start so far?
1: Um, no, I still think you know that's a team that I thought would be a winning team, and if everything fell into place, could be ten and six um, and pushing for a playoff. I, I didn't think they'd win the division because it's a tough division, and now that's changed a little bit, you know, with Roethlisberger being out. But the Ravens are legit, and, it, and Pittsburgh's not going to completely fall apart. Like people are out there thinking, "Oh, now they're going to go like three and thirteen. I don't think that's going to be the case. But they're also not going thirteen and three. But no, there's a lot of talent in Cleveland. Um, I don't. The, this this discipline thing and all the personal fouls that gives me some pause. I didn't. I didn't see that coming. Um, and the the offense. I think at some point, maybe even sooner rather than later letting Todd Munkin call all the plays would probably be the smartest thing they could do. There's a, there seems to be more than enough on Freddie Kitchens' plate. Um, but no, I mean, week one was all those penalties. I mean, And it still was 15-12 late in the third quarter, and then they undermined themselves again. It's not like Marcus Mariota carved them up. I mean, at one point it was like 8. One point in the third quarter, I think it was 8 of 18 for like 123 yards. And he threw the screen pass to Henry. He took it 85 yards, and You know, then Baker started chasing the game and threw some picks, and there were more stupid penalties. Um, But, no, look, the offense has not looked as crisp and and hasn't had the same tempo and cadence uh, and and sort of just sort of uh, swagger that they did last year. But there's also a lot of new parts, and they're figuring a lot of things out. So um, I I still think it's a team that wins more games than they lose. And, you know, we'll see where where the tiebreakers land and – God forbid, which other quarterbacks get hurt, and you know what that means for them come uh, come December. But I, I think the Browns are going to be a, a very good competitive football team. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to hear that.
2: Yeah, last one for me. Uh, can can the Vikings win the NFC North with that offensive line and I, Kirk Cousins?
1: I picked them to win the uh, the, the, the North, and they should be two yeah. and zero. Yeah, and I think they are the best team in that division. But my God, between Cousins and the kicker, I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, they had no business losing to Green Bay. I mean, Green Bay runs their first 19 plays. They score 21 points. They get great field position off the missed field goal and off the turnover. And it looks like they're going to just run them out of the gym. And then Green Bay's next 50 plays go for like 170 yards.
3: Yeah.
1: It's like 3.5 per play. Aaron Rodgers is frustrated. He's screaming at the coach. Um, They march the ball up and down the field. They have no answer for Dalvin Cook. But – you know, that first down interception by Cousins is just, that's inexplicable. I mean, even if you just get three there, exactly. you probably win the game with a field goal, even mm-hmm. though the field goal kicker had, what, already missed. Uh,
2: he missed a what, 40, a he missed, point. yeah, exactly. He missed a 47 yarder, then he missed an extra point that got blocked because, because of the penalty. Uh, it was backed up. I,
1: I don't know, man. I mean, in the week before that, you, week one, you win with Cousins attempting 10 passes. Yeah. And then week two, you should have won with him completing only 13th. I think the defense is all the way back and and I thought they would be,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and I thought they'd be able to to play ball control, and I thought cousins would would be more prolific than a year ago and and they have played you know they have played good defenses, so we'll
3: yeah
1: we'll see, but um i I still think they're the best team in that division, and as bad as cousins played, he's not the worst he's not the worst quarterback in that division, <laughs> so that's,
3: that's true, we'll see yeah.
0: Hey Jason, it's been a blast. Uh, thanks for jumping on. Uh, with my, us,
1: my pleasure, man. Anytime, appreciate so, it. And uh, yeah, S- yeah, so, enjoy, uh, enjoy the football season. And yeah. uh, I guess. Uh, April will be here before you know it. Be right. back out at uh, Nimeo. Uh,
0: that'd be great. And uh, what's what's on tap for tonight? Are you gonna fire up some late uh, some West Coast baseball, or what's what's going on for tonight?
1: Oh, just watch. Yeah, watching the O's game, and uh, I'm gonna try to get to bed early tonight. Tomorrow will be a long night. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, hey, thanks so much uh, thanks, for joining Jason. us. So you
1: got it, guys. Have a good one. Thank, Thank you.
0: you. Bye-bye. And uh, thanks to Graham Cullen for for producing and uh, getting us all set up as usual. And uh, for Josh, I'm Greg. We will see you back here next week on just another sports podcast.